do grab your Bibles uh, and be looking for Ephesians chapter 6. Caroline Gentry is going to read from us, uh, read to us from Ephesians 6, and then Danny Elliott uh, will be preaching to us. The reading is taken from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love in faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Good morning, my name is Danny. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, by your spirit, we ask that you would speak to us now from your word. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. I sleep in the dark. You might think that's pretty obvious. What I mean is this. It needs to be really dark for me to sleep. We have blackout blinds and blackout curtains. If we're away, I have to put towels over digital clocks and I have to make sure that the cracks and doors are totally sealed. A kiss goodnight is dangerous because of the potential for an unintended headbutt. And that's the problem. The dark is good for sleeping, but not for being awake. When my alarm goes off in the morning, the journey from my bed to the curtains is incredibly tense. I feel a little bit like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, except I'm not trying to evade a laser security system. I'm just trying to avoid stubbing my toe. But when I peel back the curtains and raise the blinds, the light shines in and I can see where I'm going and what's really going on. And that's a little bit like what Paul is doing in this passage. He's opening the curtains so that we're not in the dark 
and can see what's really going on. This is our last week in Ephesians, as John has already said. What a privilege it's been to be in this book at this time. We've seen God's ultimate purpose to bring all things together under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen that we were dead in transgressions and sins, but are now alive in Christ because of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen that all relational hostility has been destroyed in Christ. And then Paul has told us to walk worthy of the calling we have received, to be who we really are in, in the church, in our individual lives, in every single area, in our marriages and in our families and in our workplaces. But here's the question. If all that Paul said in Ephesians 1, 2 and 3 is true, then why is everything Paul said in Ephesians 4, 5 and 6 so difficult? If we're really alive in Christ, then why isn't the Christian walk a walk in the park? That's why Paul finishes Ephesians by opening the curtains. And as he does, and the light shines in, we see two things. We see that the Christian walk, being who we really are, is hard because there is a spiritual war raging all around us. But he also shows us that we have access to the armour that equips us for the fight. So as Paul comes to the climax of the letter, he firstly tells us to be strong in the Lord. Let me read verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong. It sounds like a sportswear advert, doesn't it? Now, if Paul ended there, we'd be left in a hopeless situation. We can't be strong, Paul. That's the whole problem. But he carries on. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It sounds very Old Testament, doesn't it? Remember when the Lord said to Joshua, just before he crossed the River Jordan and entered enemy territory, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid, Joshua. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's what Paul's saying here. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We are to have a relationship of total dependence on the Lord. We're to acknowledge that we can't do anything on our own that we are not strong. We're to remember that we were dead, totally spiritually dead in transgressions and sins. And while we have new life, it's new life only in Christ. And our walk every single day, every single step, is to be in the Lord's strength and in his mighty power. This isn't a new idea. We saw in chapter one that God's power in us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. 
And we saw in chapter three, Paul prayed to the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work in us. Are you feeling unable to do what Paul has told you to do? Good. Because you're not able to do it. We're not strong, but we can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. But, but why do we need to be strong? Well, there's a battle coming and we have to put on armour. The idea of putting on at the start of verse 11 is the same idea we saw back in Ephesians 4 verse 24, where we were told to put off the old self and put on the new self. The idea here is exactly the same, even though the imagery is different. It's not brand new clothes we're to put on this time, but armour. Why? Let me read Ephesians 6 verse 11 and 12. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a battle coming, Paul says, and you need to be ready for it. God has the right equipment for you to put on, but it's no ordinary fight. It's a spiritual war against the devil's schemes. Verse 12 shows us that everything that seems to undermine the church and everything that seems to undermine your individual walk with Christ comes from the devil. We've seen the devil before in Ephesians doing exactly that in chapter 4 verse 26 and 27 in your anger do not sin and do not give the devil a foothold can you remember that image the devil clinging on to our anger doing everything he can to stir it up stoking the fires of rage until it causes strife and dissension and division inside our church The devil has a vast array of weapons that he will use. There will be many times in your life that he will attack you. Some big and brutal, some small and subtle, but all in an attempt to bring you and the church down. The temptation to press snooze when we've set our alarm to get up and read the Bible. The havoc that seems to happen at the end of tea time almost every night that just torpedoes family Bible time. The fear that takes hold of us when we have an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. The doubts we have of God's love for us. The many distractions, even right now, that he would use to try and ensure that you do not hear God's word proclaimed. And there's more coming. The day of evil in verse 13 isn't just a singular, ultimately evil day. It could be any day. It could be every day. Imagine the shots that he's going to take at us over these coming months. After we've not been able to meet together for four months and we tentatively make steps to coming together again. Why is the Christian walk so difficult? Paul says... 
because you're in a spiritual battle against a formidable foe who is scheming night and day to bring you down. Now, it might be that you're sitting at home and thinking that this is bonkers, that the devil isn't real. He's a cartoon character. You've seen him, he's got, he's got horns and, and a pitchfork and a tail and he wears red tights. Well, that's not what the Bible says about the devil. The Bible says he is real. He is powerful. The Bible says he is dangerous and he's constantly trying to destroy the church. The Ephesians were more aware of the spiritual forces of evil than we might be. Ephesus had a reputation in ancient times as being a place where the occult and magic and sorcery flourished. In Acts 19 that we've referenced throughout this series, we saw that many people who lived that lifestyle came to be in the Ephesian church. Modern Western culture is actually out on its own in its disbelief, disbelief in the spiritual realm, both geographically because most of the rest of the world, even today, still believes in it, and historically. C.S. Lewis, the author who wrote the Narnia books, said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which humanity can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Paul urges us not to make either mistake. On the one hand, we're to realise that our struggle is not just against flesh and blood. That the devil is scheming and using everything he can, as we see in verse 12, to knock us down. But we must also know that we don't need to be so overwhelmed by him that we either turn to him or are paralysed by fear. Because this passage, it doesn't promote the idea of dualism, uh, th that good and evil or, or God and the devil are in some kind of uh, cosmic war with the battle ebbing and flowing this way and that. And we're just spectators on the sidelines uh, hoping that the good guy wins. No, the entirety of the Bible shows us quite a different picture. We've seen that even in the book of Ephesians. In verse 12, Paul says the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have we heard that phrase before? Paul started with it back in chapter 1, verse 3. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in chapter 1, verse 20, he said that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms before placing all things under his feet. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul said, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Taken together, we see that Christ is authority over all things, including the devil. And if we are in Christ, then we too are in authority over the devil. We have nothing to fear if we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If we are in Christ, if we put on the full armour of God. 
Because the armour of God equips us to stand firm against the backdrop of the enemy and the terrible warfare that's raging around us, we hear the cry, stand firm. See it all the way back in verse 11? And then in verse 13, therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand Stand firm then. Four times in all. It's like the cry of an officer who is worried that one of his front lines is about to breach. Stand firm. That's Paul's aim in this passage. To get us to withstand the attacks of the devil by depending on God and his resources. So, Paul now outlines the pieces of equipment that make up the armour of God that are our defences and weapons in the fight. These may well be familiar verses, but we're going to have to do a little bit of work just to ensure that we understand them correctly. Firstly, it's really important we view them in the context of what Paul has already shown us in Ephesians. We can't just give random or even vaguely biblical meaning to these terms. Paul has already carefully guided us throughout the letter in what they mean. Secondly, it's essential to know where Paul got the imagery from. Now, of course, the image of an armoured soldier was really accessible to the Ephesians Paul was writing to. And even though uh, nobody wears Roman armour to go to the shops today, we understand what it is and what it does. But Paul wasn't simply sitting in prison, uh, trying to figure out a good metaphor for the Christian life, when he caught a glance of the Roman soldier sitting next to him and thought, hey, that's a great idea. No, the source of this image is not a Roman soldier. It's the book of Isaiah. Let me read Isaiah 11, verse 4 and 5, which says, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And Isaiah 59, verse 17 and 18 which says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. The context of these two quotations in Isaiah are at this figure, the messianic divine warrior defeats his enemies while wearing armour. The same armour of God that Paul is about to tell us to put on. This passage is another way of saying Be in Christ. It's your relationship with Christ, again in Ephesians, that matters. That shouldn't be a surprise to us anymore, should it? Wear the armour he wears. That means that tomorrow morning, you don't need to be rummaging around in the bottom of your wardrobe to find the helmet of salvation. You don't have to be looking under the stairs to see if you've misplaced the breastplate of righteousness. If you're in Christ... You're already wearing the armour. Thirdly, for each piece of armour, they are both objective and subjective. 
One writer said they are each to be appropriated, that is put on, and cultivated, grown, to be accepted and developed within ourselves. I hope some of that background is helpful. Let me try and show you how all that plays out with the belt of truth. Uh, Verse 14 of chapter 6. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Paul has said you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In Ephesians 4, Paul said we heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Objectively, we put on the truth of the gospel, the truth that is in Jesus. And then as a result, we are to speak the truth in love and also put off falsehood and speak truthfully. We heard the truth. We know the truth, we accept the truth, we're in Christ who is the truth, and so we both speak and demonstrate the truth in our relationships. Putting on the belt of truth, the same that Christ wore in Isaiah 11 verse 5, is not doing anything outside of what Paul has already said in this letter about truth. Accepting the truth of the gospel and living it out. Uh, That's it. That is the equipment God gives us to stand firm against the devil, the father of lies. The same pattern follows for the breastplate of righteousness. We are righteous. We have been made right with God because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And because we are in Christ, we are to be who we are, to live righteously. The devil will attack both these aspects of our righteousness and we must stand firm against the attack, wearing Christ's breastplate of righteousness that we saw in Isaiah 59. And it's the same for each piece of armour, bringing a message of gospel peace in the middle of a hostile war. The shield of faith, which doesn't just defend us, but also extinguishes All the flaming arrows of the devil. The helmet of salvation, which assures us that we're in Christ. And finally, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. The only offensive weapon in this passage. And central to the life of the church, as we saw in Ephesians 4. I wish we could spend more time in these verses. If you're in a life group, then that's exactly what you'll be able to do on Tuesday or Wednesday night. At the end of the service this morning, there will be some questions and they might help you begin to think through some of these things too. We can withstand the attacks of the devil by depending on God and using his resources by putting on his armour. Finally, Paul says, pray always for everyone. Prayer isn't another piece of armour, but it is foundational to the armour. Prayer is how we put it on. In verse 10, we saw that we have to be in a relationship of 
total dependence on God. And here we see what that looks like. We have to come to God in prayer. Prayer is an acknowledgement that we are helpless, but that God is able. Paul repeatedly uses the word all in these verses. Can you see that in verse 18? And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There isn't really anything that falls outside of this. Pray always for everyone. I'm far too self-sufficient. I really need to hear this. This has been a challenge to me this week. To always wholly be dependent on God. We can often take our example for doing that in prayer from older saints. C.H. Spurgeon, the 19th century minister in Elephant and Castle, said that he never prayed for more than five minutes, but that he never went more than five minutes without praying. Pray always for everyone. John Owen, the 17th century pastor, he used to get up for one hour every morning and pray for the day ahead. The only time he broke that pattern was when he had a particularly busy day, when he was really stretched. On those mornings, he got up an hour earlier and prayed for two hours. I don't want us to fixate on the length of time these men prayed for, but I'm hugely challenged by their attitude. It's not my attitude. Is it yours? When I've got a busy day, sometimes I want to stay in bed longer so that I don't have to face what lies ahead. Or or if I do manage to get up earlier, then that's only so that I've got more time so that I can crack on and I can face what lies ahead in my day. But I should be in a relationship of total dependence on God. Aware of the spiritual warfare within which I find myself. Know that there are grenades and shells flying overhead and exploding all around me. And so I should come to him in prayer. And not just for myself. Pray for all the Lord's people. Do you see that in the end of verse 18? Pray for the church. Do you know someone in the middle of a spiritual battle? Do you know someone who is struggling to stand firm, struggling with their walk with Christ? Do you know what they need most? Your prayers. I'm not saying don't phone, please do. I'm not saying don't call round, please do. But I am saying pray. Pray, pray, pray. The prayer news on the weekly email is is easily neglected, exactly the way the devil wants it. And parents, if you have children who are following the Lord Jesus, then what they need most in the midst of their spiritual battle is your prayers. Under attack, the only offensive weapons we have are the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and prayer. Praying in the Spirit. And Paul shows himself to understand that situation in verse 19. He says, 
pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray for me. Paul is totally dependent on God. He has no power within himself. And he asked them to pray, not for his freedom, not for a miraculous escape, not for a not guilty verdict in his upcoming trial. No, he asked them to pray that he may speak the gospel fearlessly. That they would pray so that he could use the sword of the Spirit. He needs prayer because that combination is the primary thing that the devil will attack. He hates people hearing that they are spiritually dead, sinful, under God's wrath, but that through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, they can be forgiven and be made alive in Christ and become part of the church. He hates people growing in their faith and following the Lord Jesus more closely as they hear the gospel preached and applied to their life. That's the same gospel message that the Ephesians had heard. It's the same gospel message that the Ephesians had accepted, which means that in verse 23 and 24, Paul can close his letter to them, saying, Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. At the start of the letter, in Ephesians 1 verse 2, Paul offered them grace and peace. Now here at the end, he says peace and grace. Peace in their relationship with God. Peace in their relationships with each other. Because of the love and grace of God. And so of course he can end the letter with a unique phrase. They love their Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. They're alive in him. Of course it will never die. May it be that you can say the same thing. Knowing that you can withstand the attacks of the devil by depending on God and using his resources. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word, the sword of the spirit. We thank you too for prayer. Father, we we know that sometimes we neglect these things. Father, we know that all we have is in you. That we are to be totally dependent on you. That you equip us with armour for the fight. That we can come to you. We can read your word and we can speak to you. And yet so often we don't. Father, would our relationship with you be one of total dependence? May we come to you each day, not afraid of the war that is going on out there, but confident that you are with us, 
that we are in Christ, your son. And please equip us with your armour, his armour, the same armour that he wore that we now can. Father, we ask these things in the name of your son and for your glory. Amen.